we are looking at the book of Mark today, and if I had to pick a headline for this, I would, it would read something like this, Jesus, the suffering servant, the final sacrifice, with like a question mark, it would be very dramatic. That's how I picture the headline for Mark in my head. The Gospel of Mark was written by Mark, that is correct. More precisely, it was written by John Mark. He was not one of the 12 disciples, but he had a close relationship with them. He was especially close with Peter. And in his early years of ministry, he followed Jesus, quite literally followed him, followed the disciples, was close to the work that was going on. Uh, He was often known in his early years as being very eager, but maybe lacked some commitment. He had some trouble following through with what the Lord had uh, asked him to do. But he was... He was there, and he was trying, and he was close to Jesus. I think that's important. Um, We actually read, this is just a funny little side note. If you are aware of this story, in Mark 14, 51 to 52, Mark describes a young man who was there when Jesus was arrested, and he was so seized with fear about what was going on that that young man fled naked as, as he was being seized as well. And no other gospel account has this in it except for Mark. And so a lot of scholars believe that this was actually Mark. Mark fled naked as he was so afraid. And you might wonder why. Why would Mark include that story? First of all, he didn't name himself. Let's just be clear. So he didn't out himself. But I think probably he included it so that us readers could understand the climate of fear that existed at the time of Jesus' arrest and death. He was so afraid that he would rather run naked through the streets than to stand and face what was happening to Jesus. So that's Mark. We also have Mark who accompanied Paul on his first missionary journey, if you're familiar with that. But he didn't quite make it to the end. He abandoned ship at the second stop, and it it wasn't a great parting. Let's just put it that way. It caused the infamous rift between Paul and Barnabas later on. Mark just had a lot of growing up to do. Let's just put it that way. His heart was in the right place, but he had a lot of growing up to do. And we know that he did that. Because at the end of um, Paul's ministry in 2 Timothy 4.11, he says, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Mark did it. He, it took him some time, but he did it. He grew up and he figured it out. The Gospel of Mark is the shortest, and it's considered to be really fast-paced. He uses the word immediately about 39 times. Uh, There's an urgency to this record, and can I tell you that I appreciate that? Um, Just a little thing about me. I am a task-oriented person. I love people. Like, I love you all. Like, in my heart, I love you. I want to sit with you. I want to hear what's going on in your life. I want to pray with you. I want to laugh with you. But in the back of my mind, whilst I'm doing those things, I have 10 other things that are needing to be done. And it is a fatal flaw of mine. I know I'm not the only one like this. Anybody else out there like that? Um, It's a fatal flaw of mine. My husband, bless him, will come and hug me in the kitchen. And I'll be like, I don't have time for hugs. There are 10 things going on right now. What are you thinking? And he just stands there and just holds me so that I can't move. And I eventually give in and hug him. And anyways, so... We might have some issues, but that's for another time. We, okay, I have some issues. Sorry, Matt took great offense to me calling it that he had issues. Your issues are different. Okay, I love you. Anyways, I think that's why I enjoy the book of Mark so much, because he's making time. He's getting to where he's trying to go, and that just suits my personality. And also, please still come and talk to me. I really do deeply and truly love you and want to be there for you and pray with you and just live life with you. So please still do that. I hope I didn't 
ruin that. Okay, great. Uh, the book of Mark was written to Christians in Rome. He's encouraging them as they are being persecuted and as they are suffering for their faith. Mark is presenting the person, the works, and the teachings of Jesus. And he present, presents Jesus by talking about his power to overcome demons, sickness, uh, and death. In Mark, we understand that Jesus was not merely a great teacher and not merely a man of words, but he was a man of action. He put... Uh, into action what he was preaching. He was willing to step into the world and do what needed to be done. The main point that Mark is moving the reader towards is that Jesus was the final sacrifice. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Not to rule, not to be crowned with jewels and sit on a throne and make every enemy bow at his feet. That's not what Jesus came to do. He came to serve and give his life as his final sacrifice. Mark is writing to believers, but in truth, he just is presenting Jesus so succinctly that anybody can find Jesus in this account. The truth is that Jesus knew from the beginning what lay ahead of him. The pain, the torment, the sacrifice, he knew what was coming, but yet he came and he did it anyway. Not only did he come and he do it, did it anyway, he prepared his disciples for what was to come. At least he tried. He tried to prepare his disciples for what was to come. But the disciples, the 12 that were closest to Jesus, the ones that followed him, that did ministry with him, they missed what Jesus was teaching when he was with them. They missed what he was telling them. In the second part of the book of Mark, Mark can be loosely divided into three parts. In the second part, we really see the disciples grappling to understand what Jesus was saying about himself that he was the final sacrifice, that he was the Messiah, but not the Messiah they had envisioned. One of the most dramatic stories of misunderstanding begins with Jesus asking his disciples, who do, you, who do people say I am? And we find that in Mark 8, 27 to 33. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Isn't that great for Peter? Yeah. Peter had an incorrect understanding of what the Messiah would do. He answered the question correctly initially, but then failed to fully understand what Jesus was teaching. And it's just so, you, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And isn't that just so true of us today? So that was the first time in the book of Mark that we read Jesus telling the disciples what is to come. We continue into chapter 9, 930 to 31, and we read this. 
They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise again. But they did not understand what he meant and, was, and were afraid to ask him about it. This time, Mark tells us that the disciples missed the point, not simply because of human concerns, but because of fear. The disciples were afraid, afraid of looking stupid, afraid of the answer, afraid of the truth. I, I don't know what they were afraid of, but they missed the opportunity to gain, gain clarity because they were afraid. Also, super relatable. And then we continue on in this account, and this is one of my favorite parts because it is also just so sadly relatable. Right after Jesus tells the disciples what is to come, that he's going to die and suffer, we read this in Mark 9, 33 to 35. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, that being Jesus, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be very last and be the servant of all. It, it just wasn't quite sinking in for the disciples. Jesus had just told them, I am going to sacrifice myself. I am going to die. I am going to be tortured and I'm going to be hurt. And on the road to their next stop, the disciples were arguing about who could be the best. It just, it's just so great and so, so relatable, unfortunately. And we keep going. We have one more time that Jesus tried real hard. Mark 10, 32 to 34. They were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Immediately following that, we read Mark 10, 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Just, just the boldness of that. Tracy, Pastor Tracy, my boss, could you just do for me whatever I ask? That is always the answer without knowing context, always. And this is what he said, well, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory. They missed the point so epically that they were asking Jesus, who, just, let's go back up for a minute. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Can I sit at your right hand in glory? That is just, that's how the disciples' brains were going. They were trying, really, were trying to usurp authority from the other disciples. Really, that's what they were doing. They were trying to be like, we know you like Peter, but what about us? We're like we could be there, right and left, what do you think? They were trying to jockey for position in the kingdom. The disciples missed what Jesus was saying just so epically. Their concern was about who would be first, not who could serve. And this is just such a great representation of humanity, isn't it? The disciples missed what Jesus was saying because they were human. They heard what Jesus was saying, but they didn't know what to do with it. What Jesus was saying was really heavy. It wasn't just light conversation. It was heavy. And it's really, really easy to point fingers at the disciples, and I am a little bit. From our comfy seats, from our perspective, it's really easy to point fingers at them. But you have to understand, Jesus' teaching challenged the religious assumptions that they had grown up with. In... Um, 
an article, Faithless to Fearless, written by David Anderson, he says this. Despite everything Jesus said or did, they continued, even days after the crucifixion, to interpret within interpret him within the constructs of their long-held Jewish beliefs. They too knew what to do and who they were. One thing they understood was that the Messiah would be victorious over foreign rule and deliver Israel and its temple from pagan corruption. No one believed he'd fail, let alone be executed as a blasphemer and enemy of the state. They knew all men would rise from the dead, and at the end of time, no one believed that one man would be raised from the dead before all were raised. And there is no hint of any expectation that the Messiah would be Israel's God in human flesh. According to the standards of the time, the disciples could not pick a poorer and more offensive candidate for the Messiahship, let alone deification. Jesus wasn't what they were looking for. Full stop. They walked with him. They understood to as much as they could what he was telling them. But he wasn't what they were looking for. So they argued, they jockeyed for position, and they tried to make rational sense of a spiritual concept. And that's always going to land us in trouble. In another article that I love the title of so much, that is The Disciples Who Didn't Get It by Andy Rao, says this, Like many prophecies throughout scripture, Jesus' predictions weren't always understood and believed by those who heard them. Today, we tend to think of predictions purely as advanced warning and coming events. But the passages above specifically note that understanding often comes after the prophesied events have come to pass. The predictions were made so that when the disciples finally got around to remembering Jesus' words, they'd see in them further confirmation that Jesus was who he claimed to be. Maybe the disciples weren't supposed to fully understand in the moment. Maybe it was too much for them. Jesus knew they didn't understand. It's not like Jesus was like walking on the road with them, telling them these things, and being like, I think they got it this time. I think they really sunk. It really sunk in. I, I, got, I was clear. I was clear with my words. No, Jesus wasn't under any illusion that the disciples understood. He knew them. He knew their hearts. He knew their minds. He knew they weren't getting it. But yet, he kept going. He kept telling them. Why? Because he wasn't willing to give up, and he knew that a time was coming when they would need that information. After Jesus had been arrested, when the disciples had scattered, they were alone, they were afraid. I can just, I can picture it. Can't you picture it? They're huddled into the upper room. They've locked themselves in. They're terrified for their lives. And they're, they're thinking, wait, didn't, didn't he say something? Do you remember that one time Jesus said something about he was going to die? Do you remember that? Wait, do you remember he said something about suffering? What was it that he said? Can you remember what he said? He said something about rising again in three days. Is that still coming? Is that going to happen? He's in the tomb. But wait, what did he say? Do you guys remember what he said? Jesus had laid the foundation for them to understand what was coming so that in their darkest hour, when Mark fled naked in terror, in their darkest hour, they could remember the truth that Jesus had told them. He was laying a foundation this whole time, knowing they didn't get it, but knowing that they would get it because Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus had a plan all along. He knew he would come. He knew he would die. He knew he would suffer. He knew that wasn't the end, that he would rise again on the third day and that he would conquer death. Jesus knew that all that was coming and he knew that the disciples didn't understand it, but that they would. Mark isn't just writing to encourage believers for fun. He's writing to them to encourage them because they themselves 
were suffering. The Roman church was going through it. They were facing persecution. I think of Jeremy sharing this morning. There are churches all over the world that are facing persecution. And the reason that it mattered that the disciples understood is the reason that it matters to us today. Because Jesus is the final sacrifice. That the reason Jesus suffered was worth it. Jesus came to live, to die, to rise again for you, for me, so that everything we do in our faith is worth it because Jesus is worth it. He's saying to the, to the church, keep on going. Jesus is worth it. He came to serve and he asks you to serve. He suffered just like you're suffering. He suffered more than you. It's worth it. Come and serve. Jesus didn't come to have a crown. He came to serve it's okay that you're suffering. Jesus sees you in that suffering. The disciples and the early church and us today, we need to have an understanding of who Jesus is. And that's what Mark is saying. The disciples didn't understand, but we understand. The reason it was okay to suffer for Jesus, the reason it's okay to face hardship in our faith is because Jesus is our Passover lamb. Jesus is the final sacrifice, and that matters. When I was preparing this message, I just kept coming back to this phrase. It matters. It matters that Jesus suffered. It matters that he died. It matters because if it, he didn't do it, then what's the point? Why are we here this morning? Why is the church in Ethiopia sending out thousands of people to spread the good news? If Jesus didn't die, if he isn't who he told the disciples he was, then none of it matters. It matters. It matters. He is the Passover lamb. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to, serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life for us. Every single human that draws breath, he gave his life for us. And it matters that he came as the suffering servant and the final sacrifice. Because blood has always been required for forgiveness of sin. We needed that final sacrifice to be made right with God. Sacrifice is necessary. It always has been. You find blood sacrifice as far back as the Garden of Eden when God made clothes from animals to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness. Blood is required to cover sin. And not just for fun, not because just, that's just how it works, but because it allows God to pass over us. It allows him to pass over our sin. Jesus was our final Passover lamb. That's how he saw himself, and that's what he taught about himself. It's not an accident that the final events of Jesus' life happen around the Jewish celebration of Passover. In our Bible in a year reading plan that some of you have been reading through with us, um, Nikki Gumbel gave an excellent devotional that explains these concepts so well, better than I could. So I'm going to read it to you today. And if you were following with us, this will just be a reminder because you already listened to it or read it. Jesus says to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. St. Paul writes, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. The blood of a lamb protected the people of God under the old covenant at the first Passover. You are far better off now under the new covenant. The blood of Jesus, the lamb of God, cleanses and protects you permanently. At the first Passover, a lamb had to be sacrificed. The lamb had to be without defect, pointing towards the innocent Jesus. 
There is great emphasis on the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb without defect was to be shed as a sacrifice. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, look, the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. The blood of the lamb gave the people protection from God's judgment. It was the Passover sacrifice. This foreshadowed the sacrifice of Jesus. God's instruction about the Passover lamb, do not break any of his bones, was specifically fulfilled at Jesus' death. Breaking a person's legs was a way of speeding up crucifixion or death by crucifixion. They broke the legs of the men crucified with Jesus, but when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Jesus is our Passover lamb. He is the final, the eternal, the never-ending sacrifice that gives forgiveness for sins. Jesus is who he said he was. And it matters. Because if he wasn't who he says he was, then what is this all about? Jesus is the final sacrifice. I, I just... It matters. If he, didn't, if he didn't die and suffer like he said he would, if he didn't rise again like he said he would, then he was a lunatic, and we are all lunatics with him for following him. Let's be honest. But he wasn't. He did. If the disciples had had the full picture, do you think they would have been arguing about who was the greatest? About who could sit on each side of him? Maybe they would. They are human after all. But what would have been different if the disciples had fully understood what Jesus was telling them? We had that full picture. We had the full picture that the disciples didn't have. They were doing the best to understand with the context that they were living in in the moment. We have the full picture of Jesus' sacrifice. How are we living different? How is it changing our life? The disciples were missing. They were getting the information ahead of time, trying to translate it into their situation and then applying it as it was happening, remembering back. Remember what he said. Remember that was going to happen. Right. And they were piecing it all together. We have the full story. Beginning to end. We're still not, there's some more coming that we're not sure on that. But this part, we have the full story. Has it changed your life? Does it change your life every day that you wake up? Do you dwell on the sacrifice of Jesus every day? Do you wake up and start your day and say, Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your blood. I don't wake up every day and say that. I should. Because it changes everything because it matters. I want to take some time this morning and I, I just want to dwell on the sacrifice of Jesus. He gave up his life for us as the Passover lamb so that we could be free from our sinful nature. We sit here today with the full story and yet we still live caught up in sin and wrong thinking and arrogance and pride and all of the things that trip us up. We have everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. He has provided all of that for us on the cross and yet does it affect how you live your life every day? Is Monday to Saturday one part of your life and Sunday another? That's not how it's supposed to be. Jesus' death was for all of it. 
365 days a year, it changes everything for us. We're so hard on the disciples. But how are we any different? How is understanding the sacrifice of Jesus changing your life? You don't have to live in darkness. You don't have to live with that thing that you think you can just never overcome. You're right. You can't overcome it. But the blood of Jesus already did the work for you. Embrace it. Walk in freedom. You don't have to be caught up in sin. You accepted Jesus into your heart. You accepted his sacrifice years ago. And that's amazing. But every single day there is a new battle to be won. Every single day he is inviting you back to remember the sacrifice. And it changes things. It changes how you walk into your school on Monday morning. Jesus was my sacrifice. I am going to choose to make right decisions in my class today. I am going to represent Christ well in my teachers and my friend group. I'm going to invite my friend to youth group because Jesus died for me and changed everything. So I want them to know that too. I'm going to walk into my workplace on Monday and remember that though that person drives me crazy, it's none of you. Jesus died for them too. And I can represent him well. I can talk about him. I can be real with my faith in front of them. Jesus changed everything for me, and I want that for them. That's the thing. Jesus changed everything for us. He changed our lives. He took us from old to new, and that should be bursting out of us. It's the best news that could ever be shared. Are we sharing it? Are we sharing it? It changes everything. That family member that you only see at Easter time that you're already gearing up to be like, mm-hmm, I'm going to see them at Easter and I'm going to keep my head down and my mouth shut and it's going to be fine. What if this time you did it differently? What if this time you just loved them and you remembered that Jesus sacrificed everything for them? What if instead of just putting your head down and getting through it and trying not to say something offensive to them, you just shared the love of Jesus and if they take offense to that, that's on them. You were just sharing the greatest news that ever happened to you. What if that's how we lived our lives every day? It matters that Jesus died because it changes everything. He sacrificed everything for us. We live in a world that um, just wants to be loved. All of the nonsense we see. They want to be told they're worthy, that they're valued, and that they're loved. Do you know what the message of the cross is? That you are worthy, that you are valued, that you are loved. The disciples figured it out. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, they went out and told the world. They told the world. That's what matters. It matters because it helps us overcome sin in our own life. But it matters because with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can go out and be light in Christ to everywhere we go. And so today I'm going to ask Pastor Tracy and the worship team to come back. And I just want to invite you as we lead, as we sing, what does the sacrifice of Jesus change for you? What is it that you're battling with your life that you need to lay at his feet and say, you already sacrificed for me. I want to walk in freedom to this. What is that thing in your life that you need to surrender to the blood of Jesus because he's already died for you? Who is that person in your life that you need to share Jesus with because it's the best news that you've ever had and you want that for them?
That's the good news. When you share Jesus, it's not because you're trying to convince people to a way of life or you're trying to tell them that they're evil and wrong. It's that you love them so much that you're trying to tell them the thing that changed your life so it can change theirs. Who is that person? If you're with us online today or in person and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, this is a new concepts for you, we would love to explore that with you. But I'll tell you this succinctly, maybe. Jesus gave his life and died on a cross, shedding blood to forgive your sin. He rose again three days later, conquering death and becoming who he said he was, the savior of the world. And that gift is available to you, that freedom is available to you by inviting him in, by saying, Jesus, I recognize that you are the savior that I need. I don't have my life figured out. I'm not perfect yet, but I don't have to be. Jesus, can I accept your sacrifice today? I invite you into my life. Forgive me of how I've done wrong. Help me to live my life another way. That's the simple message of the gospel. We would love to explore that with you online. Tengu is online with you. She would love to explore that with you in person. You can find any of us that were on the platform today. If this is new for you, we invite you to explore the greatest news that you'll ever hear, that you are worthy, that you are loved, that you don't have it all together, but Jesus died for you anyway. The sacrifice of Jesus matters because it changes everything. Let's take a moment today and let's reflect on what the sacrifice of Jesus means in your life. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you sacrificed for me. Thank you that you came not as a king to rule, but you came as a king to serve. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sin so that I don't have to live in darkness and fear anymore. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would speak to us, that you would dig up those dark places that we need to surrender before you once again. And I pray, Lord God, for a boldness that comes only from the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that you would compel us to share the good news of your sacrifice to everyone we come in contact with. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood and for your sacrifice. We love you.